I always went to a mixed school, mixed French, mixed English, but still there were so many French jokes going around. <laughs> Okay, going. Hare Krishna, uh, everybody. Well, we're back after a long hiatus. We've been uh, gone to Brindavan and then Calcutta, and uh, but we're here and we are continuing this book, Swamiji, which is uh, Satyaraj Prabhu's. Uh, composition of what uh, Brahmananda Prabhu had told him or spoken. There are three really wonderful tapes, recordings of uh, Brahmananda Prabhu. Uh, they're really fantastic because he's a, he's a great, great storyteller. So, Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Jena Tazmai Shri Guru Venamaha Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So, this is a quote. Says Bruce, I worked at free institutions, all parochial schools. One was in East Harlem, a Roman Catholic parochial school, and the other was a Hasidic Jeshiva in Brooklyn. I worked at this for two years while studying under Swamiji. Of course, my priority was being a student of the Swami, to be with him and to learn from him. So I eventually decided to give up the job and just spend my time with him. My parents weren't happy with the decision, how are you going to live? But I didn't really think in those terms. I wanted what the Swami had to offer and that was that. I'm on page 33, by the way. Bruce decided to go to the Swami and to speak to him about becoming a full-time student, setting aside his teaching work at the free schools. When he arrived, some of Swamiji's regular students were already there, congregating in the courtyard in between the storefront and the apartment building where Swamiji resided. There was a wooden picnic table there, and they were standing around it, one fellow was hard at work on an old typewriter, picking away at what was obviously one of Swamiji's manuscripts. The little courtyard seemed like the perfect monastery to Bruce, who thought, I want to be here, working and living with the Swami, serving his mission. This is what life is all about. Seeing Bruce suddenly appear in their midst, the boy said, go upstairs. The Swami's up there. Just knock on the door. That's... That's how you went to see Prabhupada. You just go upstairs. It's very Bruce climbed the steps of the old New York tenement, unsure of what he would say in the Swami's presence. 
He saw the door. It was apartment 2C. After a few cautious knocks, the door opened. It was Swamiji. Yes, he smiled. Yes, he smiled. His welcoming face offered Bruce the initial confidence to enter. I'd like to speak with you, said the young seeker, and Swamiji invited him in. It was just all as easy as that. It wasn't so easy later on. While the Swami immediately went to sit behind his metal trunk desk, which was close to the floor on a thin mat and covered with a wood, woolen blanket that was decorated with elephants in typical Indian fashion, Bruce took the cue and sat on the floor facing him. Swamiji began by asking Bruce his name. Upon hearing the response, the Swami mentioned jokingly that there was also a Lord Bruce in colonial India. With a playful look, he added that Lord Bruce was actually an important leader. This lighthearted exchange made Bruce feel more comfortable, which in turn allowed him to talk more freely. Well, I have a job, Bruce began, and my new assignment begins tomorrow. After a brief uh, pause, he continued, but I really want to be your student and give up working outside. I just want to learn from you. Swamiji's eyes opened wide. Oh, you have a job? <laughs> Few of the other boys were working, and much to Bruce's surprise, the Swami seemed to like the idea of having students with responsible jobs. After all, Swamiji said, they had to attend to practical matters. They needed to pay rent on the storefront and to take care of their various day-to-day -day bills. They also needed to finance the regular programs for outreach. This all required money. Swamiji started to explain the basic principles of the Bhagavad Gita to Bruce. Arjun wanted to renounce his work, thinking that such uh, renunciation was spiritual. But Krishna explained that one should renounce all the fruits of one's work, not the work itself. It was our fruitive mentality, Swamiji elaborated, that separated us from our relationship with God. And if we could learn how to act without a self-centered mindset, we could serve the Supreme with love and devotion. This, in fact, was the Gita's central teaching. Thus, Bruce first, Bruce's first one-on-one -on -one meeting with Swamiji revealed quite a bit. He remembers some other details as well. Quote, the first time I sat on the floor across from Swamiji, I told him the story of my identity crisis. He seemed to really want to know. He cared. Finally, when I exhausted talking about myself, I was ready to hear what he had to say. You are part and parcel of Lord Krishna. That is who you are. Then he immediately backed up his pronouncement with a reference from the Krishna uh, the, what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, just in case I didn't believe him. The living entities in this conditioned world are my eternal fragmental parts. Then he told me who Krishna was. He's God, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Paramam Purusham Divyam. I was to understand that I was neither my body or mind or my sense of self. Rather, the soul is who I am, and that soul is an infinitesimal 
minute spark of God. And then this wonderful guru told me the clincher. Being part and parcel of Krishna, your duty is to serve him and to think of him and to worship him and to love him and to act to satisfy him, to be conscious of him. Now, chant Hare Krishna. So this is who I am and this is my purpose in life. Inwardly, I smiled in existential relief at long last. Of course, he had to repeat this message to me many, many times in his conversations, his lectures and in his books, to convince me and to clear away any lingering periodic doubt. But it was he alone who kindly applied the antiseptic medicine to my metaphysical wounds. So it was just a matter of time. I knew until I completely healed." Unquote. Prior to this meeting, Bruce had had a naive conception of spirituality. He thought that one should just renounce everything and meditate on the divine. In fact, only several months earlier, Michael Green, the fellow who had initially told Bruce about 26 Second Avenue, had expressed suspicion of Swamiji's big reel-to-reel tape recorder, which was used whenever he gave a lecture. Bruce concurred that such a mechanical device is simply materialistic. But Swamiji explained that the premise of Bhakti Yoga or Krishna consciousness was different, that one should take whatever the material world has to offer, since the material world is also a part of God, and use it in a spiritual way. Active spirituality, he taught, is superior to passive spirituality, and everything in the material world, when used in Krishna's service, becomes divine. I remember when, uh, after I'd moved into the temple, uh, I, uh, I went around to all my acquaintances to sell. Bhagavatam's books, Gita, and uh, up until 3.1, which was six volumes. So those were the hardbound books. Maybe TLC was also there, but I don't think we had. And, uh, and I went to one acquaintance who was, uh, who was an Indian man. His name was Krishna, by the way and uh, Christian, and uh, he'd, he'd married a uh, French-Canadian uh, lady who who's very good, who cooked very good Indian food, so he had a shop just opposite the university, and uh, Indian clothes and all kinds of stuff, and I would, uh, or we would go me and my wife would go and uh, so he was a, a friend and have a meal there that they cooked. Well, after I joined, I went to sell him books and he, uh, I, I thought that, you know, he was going to be open, but he was very negative, typical. Uh, and, uh, and he started criticizing prop, but I was saying that, you know, why is there was some ring in some, I don't know, some book Prabhupada was wearing a ring. He said, if he's, uh, if he's a guru, he shouldn't be wearing a ring. Uh, 
you know, why does he, you know, travel around in cars and taking so much worship and wearing a garland? So I got really upset and I just left. I never saw, saw him since then. But yeah, people have this mundane or naive uh, conception that spirituality means you stay away from material things rather than engaging things in Krishna's service. Swamiji concluded by saying, you should continue working and give your wages to Krishna. But Bruce was still unclear. He sincerely wanted to follow the Swamiji's recommendation, but he didn't know how to approach it. Giving money to Krishna, what did that even mean? He asked in, uh, directly, so how do you give money to Krishna? <laughs> Swamiji's response, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> You give it to me, <laughs> and I will give it to Krishna. <laughs> Bruce nodded in agreement, and in the weeks that followed, he would give Swamiji his hard-earned money, says Bruce. I would give towards the rent, the food for little incidentals. My salary was $100 a week, so I had 400 each month. Yeah. Huh? It, it, it wasn't a lot still. I remember when I used to work in the summer for quite a few uh, summers, I was getting $50 a week. Yeah, dollar, dollar an hour, something like that. And uh, I remember Swamiji had a little basket that he would have someone pass around. And so once, when I got paid, I attended one particular program to give some money. Now, most people would throw in loose change. Sometimes they were a few dollar bills. But the whole collection came to about four or five dollars each time. You know, Sunday, when everyone was sitting down, we'd go someone would pass around a basket and change one dollar bills that was but no, never anything more usually he, still continuing the quote usually after the basket had got around someone would bring bring it to swamiji and he would dump all the money out to count it <laughs> in front of everybody else. Well, this was kind of awkward. Normally, when you give money to someone voluntarily, they look at it later, not in front of you. It saves people from embarrassment. Anyway, everyone was sitting there in silence, awkwardly waiting while Swamiji counted the money, <laughs> periodically looking up at us. Now, on one particular evening, I put in a $100 bill. And when Swamiji started counting the money and came upon the bill, he looked up, happily surprised. I was sitting there trying to conceal that it was me, but then I started smiling. Swamiji looked straight at me and smiled back, <laughs> shaking his head with obvious pleasure. It was very intimate, such a nice exchange. So Prabhupada was not 
shy about money. In terms of rent, Swamiji's monthly cost was 75 for the storefront and 50 for the apartment. That's how much we would pay. $75. What's that? Oh, he's, he's just arriving? Oh. Bruce would have liked to pay for it in its entirety, but he couldn't. He still had his own apartment and expenses, which he needed while he kept his job. So he would just give what he could while spending all of his free time and weekends at the temple. He would normally eat there too with Swamiji and the devotees, and in due course his first tangible service emerged, cleaning the pots which of course nobody wanted to do. Cleaning the pots was like the honorary service that you do the devotees who move into the temple. That's the first thing, cleaning pots. Cleaning pots and washing the toilet. As Bruce recalls, I was the newest man and I had experience in pot washing, so that's what I did. Because while in the restaurant back when I was on the ship, I was a waiter and I washed pots. In other words, I had done it professionally as a summer job. So I washed the pots for the devotees and one day Swamiji happened to come out into the kitchen and he saw how clean it all was. All the pots and pla uh, plates, utensils and everything. He asked Kirtananda, one of the early devotees, who has washed all the pots today? So Kirtananda told them, oh, it was the new boy, Bruce. Swamiji said, ah, very good. He liked it. I had washed the pots much more efficiently than the others had done on prior occasions. Swamiji noted it immediately. Because, I mean, cooks have experience that devotees, they tend to be satisfied if on the bottom side, there's still black, and even on the bottom of the pot, leave the black. But, uh, so I remember when I was there, there was the cook, my god sister, her name was Chandra, and she, she used to actually preach, preach to my wife and so on. So she would, when I moved in, she would come over and, and say, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> So like on a Sunday night, and you had to wash, you don't leave till the next day. There's no such thing as leaving anything to the next day. It got washed then and there. So we were up after the feast, late at night, washing, washing pots. This was Bruce's second moment of recognition from Swamiji. There was the $100 incident when Swamiji realized that it was Bruce's donation. And now he was noticing that his young disciple was doing nice service by cleaning pots. The early devotees thrived on this. If their guru was pleased with their service, however minor that service might be, then they knew their advancement in spiritual life was assured. But more, it made them happy to make him happy. It was an exchange of love." Un uh, end quote. Soon after, Bruce started coming to the storefront. 
he heard someone say, the Swami is leaving. Although he was new to the Swami's movement, he felt an overwhelming sense of loss. He's going back to India. I've only just begun studying under him. Bruce was soon found out, Bruce soon found out, however, that Swamiji was only leaving to visit Ananda Ashram, Dr. Ramamurti Mishra's yoga retreat in upstate New York. Still, it made Bruce realize how attached he was to Swamiji and how their relationship was growing quickly and intensely. Mishra, also known as Brahma, uh, Brahmananda Saraswati, and he was the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Society of New York, Incorporated, along with its country center, Ananda Ashram, founded in 1964 in Monroe. His teachings were more along the lines of Shankara's Advaita Vedanta, favoring an impersonal conception of the Supreme as opposed to the personality of Godhead. Needless to say, he and Swamiji did not see eye to eye on many lighthearted and some not so lighthearted debates ensued. But both respected the integrity of each other's <coughs> spiritual lineage, maintaining a friendly relationship. Less than a year earlier, when Swamiji first arrived in New York, Mishra had hosted him at his apartment at 33 Riverside uh, Drive, just off the Hudson River, giving him the privacy of his own room. The apartment was on the 14th floor with large windows affording Swamiji a river view. But after a short time, Mishra relocated him to his small Hatha Yoga studio at 100 West 72nd Street near Columbus Avenue, which had no windows, no cooking facilities, and was generally inconvenient for Swamiji's purposes. All that had now changed. Swamiji was established at 22nd Avenue and had a strong following of his own. For some time on weekends, he had continued to visit Dr. Mishra, Joan Suval, one of Mishra's students used to drive him to meet with Mishra in upstate New York. But now Swamiji received a special invitation. He could come up to Monroe with his disciples. Mishra thought that Swamiji and his boys would appreciate a day in the country, and Swamiji thought so too. So they packed into a couple of cars and drove roughly an hour north as the summer of 1966 drew to close. Right Satsvarup Das Goswami. Ananda Ashram lies in a peaceful wooded setting of 60 acres on the foothills of the Catskill Mountains. The place includes a lake with an island. Whenever Srila Prabhupada would go to the ashram, he would hold kirtan and the yoga students would join him in chanting and even dancing. Dr. Mishra was particularly fond of Srila Prabhupada's chanting. I have, quote, I have never seen or met any devotee who sang so much, unquote, Dr. Mishra says. Quote, and his kirtan was just ambrosial. If you pay attention and become relaxed, that voice has very electrical vibrations on your heart. You cannot avoid it. 99% of the students, whether they liked it or not, they got up and danced and chanted. And I felt very pleased 
to meet such a great soul. Naturally, Dr. Mishra would give lectures carrying the impersonal interpretation of Bhagavad Gita according to Shankar. When allowed to speak before Dr. Mishra and his students, Srila Prabhupada would criticize the impersonal interpretation, although in a tactful way, describing it as the beginning step in appreciating the Supreme Person. Bruce wanted to go, unquote, excuse me. Bruce wanted to go, but by the time he found out about the trip, the devotees had already left. Just then Steve, later Satsvarup, showed up, making him and Bruce the only two who had missed the ride. To remedy this, Bruce phoned a friend in the Bronx, his old buddy, Michael Green, hoping he would drive them up to Ananda Ashram, but Michael was disinterested. Still, he loaned them his Volkswagen bus, and so Bruce and Steve immediately left for Ananda Ashram. Bruce remembers their country adventure. Unquote. The country atmosphere was beautiful, a really mode of goodness environment for meditating or for just strolling around. There was a little island there surrounded by a lake. I remember it became I remember it became when I got there. Swamiji decided to describe to me in stark detail the temple he wanted to build on the island. The island was rather small, as was the lake, so the temple would be a modest size. He described Radha and Krishna as he looked out on the lake with a shining white marble dome and carved latticework. He also mentioned the bridge connecting the island so visitors could walk out there to see the divine couple. Swamiji painted a vivid picture in my mind like uh, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami does in the Chaitanya Charitamrita when he describes the temple in Vrindavan. Quote, in a temple of jewels in Vrindavan underneath a desire tree Shishi Radha Govinda, served by their most confidential associates, sit upon an effulgent throne." Unquote. Swamiji was envisioning it in his mind's eye and sharing it with me. It was a distinct privilege. Unquote. They all spent the day enjoying the country atmosphere. At first they sat at a picnic table and tasted delicious prasadam with Swamiji talking and relishing his deeply spiritual association. Then there was a slideshow. Swamiji gave a lecture, and finally there was a kirtan, a rip-roaring chant-and-dance session and everyone, with everyone taking part. It was transformative experience for all present. Although philosophically at odds, even the Ananda Ashram yogis joined in to chant. Krishna Kirtan is always the great equalizer. Everyone likes to sing and dance, and with Swamiji at the helm, the overwhelming spiritual emotion that he exuded overpowered even the most skeptical. As for the return trip, Bruce had the honor of riding in the Volkswagen Beetle that belonged to James Green, soon to be initiated as Jagannath does the car in which Swamiji also rode, Green Drove, and next to him sat the Swami. An enthusiastic Bruce made himself comfortable in the back. 
leaning forward to ask Swami questions. Satsurup Das Goswami paints a clear picture. Later, Prabhupada Swamiji sat next to Bruce in the Volkswagen, returning to the city. The car went winding around on a ribbon of smooth black mountain road with lush green forests close in and intermittent vistas of mountains and expansive sky. It was a rare occasion for Bruce to be driving Prabhupada in a car because none of the Swami's boys had cars. They would always travel by bus or subway. It seemed fitting for the Swami to have a car to ride in, but this was only a little Volkswagen, and Bruce winced whenever they hit a bump and a jostled Prabhupada. As they wound their way around through the mountains, Bruce recalled something he had read in a book by Aldous Huxley's wife about the best places for meditation. Who knows who Aldous Huxley is? Well, he was have a few cultured people. One opinion had been that the best place to meditate was by a large body of water because of the negative ions in the air. And the other opinion was that it was better to meditate in the mountains because you're higher up and closer to God. <laughs> Is it better, for, quote, is it better for spiritual realization to meditate in the mountains? Bruce asked. Prabhupada replied, this is nonsense. <laughs> There's no question of better place. Are you thinking that God is up on some planet or something and you have to go up high? No, you can meditate anywhere. Just chant Hare Krishna, unquote. Because Bruce had been serious student of yoga and Indian spirituality, the question about meditating was important to him. He had read in Laura Huxley's book her theory about air mass and how certain areas can instigate change in the polarity of the atmospheric ions to negative or positive, which then in turn can influence the direction of air mass, all of which are said to impact the consciousness. Before meeting Swamiji that summer, Bruce used to go to the beach regularly and meditate on the sand, specifically to take advantage of the negative ions mentioned by Laura Huxley. No matter how hot it was, he would sit still, meditating without distraction. He would perspire, but he would keep going, believing that this was bringing him closer to mystical realization. The sweat would dribble down his brow and onto his nose and cheek, but it wouldn't wipe it so as not to break the meditation. In the end, he realized he wasn't meditating on the divine or even on nothingness, his cherished gold at the time. He was merely concentrating on trickling sweat. <laughs> Thus, Swamiji's practical response in the car served to confirm his suspicions. Perspiration. Greg joins Iskon. Around this time, Bruce's brother Greg joined the Swami's movement. A nonconformist at uh, Ripawam High School in Stamford, he had grown his hair long, as so many others had done during this time. The year before the quote, summer of love, 
and became involved in art and rock music. Bruce, this summer of love was 1965. That's when Woodstock took place. What, what are you saying? Well, this was 66. 67 was Woodstock. So 67 on Wikipedia, mm. or whatever it's worth. Okay, okay. In, uh, in August, just prior to the time that Bruce accompanied Swamiji to Ananda Ashram, Greg had enrolled in a business college in Colorado. He was prepared to follow his father, who was a successful businessman. Gre <laughs> Greg's parents took him to LaGuardia for the flight out, and Bruce joined them at the airport. At the time, Bruce was a regular at 26 Second Avenue, but hadn't yet become a committed student. He had given Greg a copy of Christopher Isherwood's edition of the Bhagavad Gita, and also Mahamantra written on a slip of paper. It's not that he was proselytizing, but rather he was just apprising his brother of his interests. Bruce remembers his, they're, they're actually from two different fathers, brothers, and uh, Br uh, Greg became Gargamuni. Prabhupada used to call him Gargamani because <laughs> uh, he was very good at making money. Quote, after a week at the college, he had some epiphanic realization. He was disheartened by the crass students and the academic materialism being offered by the school. His worldview had obviously been influenced by the Bhagavad Gita and my own involvement with the Swami. When he went to formally drop out, the headmaster threatened to report him to the selective service, which he did, and he was later drafted. He sold all his stuff, like his clothes and his record player, and just started walking down the road. He was headed for California to check out the Ramakrishna mission in Los Angeles. Since this establishment was mentioned in the back of the Gita, he had in hand. While hitchhiking, he chanted the Mahamantra. When he, got to, when he got to Tucson, Arizona, he called me to tell me what he was doing. This was in September. By this time, my commitment to Swamiji was expanding. So I suggested that he try the Swami in New York City before going to Los Angeles and he could stay with me. He used whatever little money he had for a flight to New York in mid-September. He attended the classes and chanted with us. Ultimately, of course, he liked the Swami, especially after I formally introduced him. Actually, Greg arrived in New York just a few days before my initiation on Radastami, September 23, 1966. Prior to the ceremony, Swamiji had asked him if he wanted initiation also, but it was too soon for him, and he said he'll wait for the next one. He attended, Prabhupada would just, someone would walk in, said we're having initiations tomorrow, you want to get initiated? 
He attended as an onlooker, though, along with my mother. He was there at the now famous Thompson Square Park Kirtans, too, and handed out leaflets. He was initiated on October 23rd, exactly one month after me, and he was given the name Gargamuni Das. Um, yeah, often uh, devotees who had close association with Prabhupada knew how uh, knew Prabhupada's requirement for initiation. It's something that uh, I often have to sort of deal with in that uh, if a devotee is not exactly to the liking of the authority, then he may be put off, or if he's or she has, you know, difference of opinion, or I don't know, doesn't engage uh, so in so much service and so on. But Prabhupada's own requirement was 16 rounds for regulated principles, boss. And if you do that, you get first initiation, second initiation was a little more strict. But even then, it was spiritual standards. It wasn't any kind of political affiliation or so on that someone had to meet uh, in order uh, to, to be initiated. So, and Prabhupada, of course, in the, then later on, he got stricter and stricter and stricter. And uh, he also stopped. One point, Prabhupada stopped initiating for not very long, but he stopped. Initiation. In the Gorovetsnav tradition from which the Hare Krishna movement emerges, initiation is considered important. It is a necessary formality, as it is sometimes said. But it is more than that. It formalizes the relationship between guru and disciple, wherein the disciple commits to becoming an eternal servant of his spiritual master. And in exchange, the spiritual master agrees to direct him, purify him, and personally, quote, bring him back to Krishna's lotus feet, unquote. That is, to free him from illusion and to help situate him in love of God. The initiation manifests as a formal ceremony, colorful and elaborate, with the chanting of mantras and sacred fire to burn away all pre previous karma of prospective disciples. At initiation function, a guru will give his disciple a set of beads to chant on, a new name indicating the disciple's dedication to Krishna and his life's mission. The disciple, for his part, makes a sincere vow to follow the tenets of scripture and to live as a devotee. While still in India in the 1950s, Swamiji had founded the League of Devotees, a short-lived short precursor to ISKCON. And at that time, he initiated his first disciple, Prabhakar Mishra, giving him the name Acharya Prabhakar Das. In similar fashion, he would now, on September 8, 1966, initiate his first Western disciples. Among them were 
Michael, Mukunda, Wally, Umapati, Raymond, Roy Ram, and Howard, Hayagriva. But Bruce would have to wait until the movement's second initiation ceremony a few weeks later. Yeah, that was John Mastami, first initiation. Radastami, the appearance day of Lord Krishna's eternal consort, was a rite of passage for Bruce. That year it fell on September 23rd, as Bruce mentioned, by Swamiji's grace on that day, he would be transformed into Brahmananda Das, a disciple in the prestigious Brahmamadva Gaudiya Sampradaya. Others took initiation that day too, Keith Kirtananda, Steve Satsurup, Charles Achutananda. The ceremony was held in the Swami's small apartment just behind the storefront. There was a room in which he would sit to do his work and another one used as a temple room uh, with an altar for making food offerings and for sleeping on a mat and serving prasadam to the devotees. It was in this latter room that Bruce would become Brahmananda. Although elements of Bruce remained, he remembers. For some reason, I invited my mother to attend. I was still in close contact with her, telling her everything I was doing. She was going through a difficult time after the divorce and needed some kind of counseling. So in my neophyte enthusiasm, perhaps, I thought this might help her. She was always attuned to my spiritual sensitivities and would pay attention when I expressed the philosophy to her. So she came and sat on the folding chair in the cramped room. She sat above us because all of us, even the Swamiji, sat on the floor. That's how he arranged it. Swamiji performed the pious sacrifice right there on the floor, too, which surprised me making a fire on the floor of an apartment. You have, to, uh, you have to consider that you're, you know, when, when you join or when you joined, you joined established temples, part of an international movement, world headquarters here in Mayapur, uh, with deities everywhere and here and you know even even up until uh, my time you know there's there's nothing there's one one storefront there's just Prabhupada there's no you know Prabhupada's mission there's no temples there's no deities there's no there's no society even at this point. Uh, there's, uh, there's nothing. So it really takes a lot of faith because, you know, you just, who, what are you joining? You're joining Prabhupada. And, you know, what's the mission? Well, that really wasn't uh, so clear even when we joined, you know, mission. The mission is just to follow Prabhupada. You know, do whatever he says, and that's that was the mission. Uh, so it, it it was a uh, 
it really required the real leap of faith that now here I'm, you know, now you show your parents there's, you know, really a lot, a lot to offer. Then there was nothing. We want to ask, you know, how are you going to live? And here you have, I mean, that apartment, really Prabhupada's room was this, this big. Prabhupada's room and the outside room was equal. So the two of them, maybe along with the bathroom, were as big as this room. And Prabhupada slept in the little room. And whoever joined slept over there or some down in the storefront. And this was the life you had to convince your parents of. That, you know, we're taking over the world. <laughs> and that this was the most Im important thing. And this was, meanwhile, you had different world religions with endless facilities and so on. There were four small bowls of powdered dye for coloring cloth. Blue, yellow, red, and white was fuller's earth. That's what we used for tilak. We didn't have Gopi Chandan. We used Fuller's Earth. He then spread the powders on the mound, according to Vedic tradition. From a burning candle, he lit a small splinters and then pieces of an orange crate. That was the tradition. Crates, fruit crates, orange crate, whatever crate there was. It was very good wood. It's very light and and he poured ghee on it to make a roaring fire. Yes, we only ate the things cooked in ghee. All the while reciting mantras. The four new initiates placed bananas at the base of the fire, coming forward and bowing before Swamiji as he handed us our big red beads. There were no... Uh, Tosi beads at that time, uh, we, you would have to go to a head shop, it's called hippie shop, and uh, hippies were really into beads, so you buy beads there, and you string them, and then that was for initiation. At that time, and then when I got initiation beads, they were, they were from uh, they were neem beads. At that time, he pronounced our names one by one. After I bowed down and got my beads, he said, Now to your mother, bow down to her, and whenever you see her, bow down. She was flattered, I'm sure. End quote. Just prior to the initiation, Swamiji gently asked Brahmananda's mother, to make a donation to his mission. She answered, as only a Jewish mother can, I've already given you two sons. What more do you want? <laughs> Swamiji smiled. After the fire sacrifice, name-giving ceremony, and a brief philosophical lecture, a special feast was enjoyed by those present, which Prabhupada would cook. As the new initiate's inner commitment solidified, and this commitment would soon be tested, the early devotees had until now kept their involvement somewhat private. 
that is to say their chanting and dedication to the Swami's teachings, were expressed indoors without the outside world witnessing their uncommon exotic activities. There were, of course, rare exceptions, such as the incident at Ananda Ashram. But now the Swami would have them finally broadcast it, taking it to the streets. Okay, Wednesday, outdoor kirtan. The first public kirtan, Washington Square Park. Jai Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Brahmananda Prabhu ki jai. Thank you.